Hi, everyone, and welcome back to CritCast Pod. The podcast offers the personal side behind the persona of world-leading athletes and performers. I'm your host, Sam Crick, and thanks for the support on the last episode of the podcast with Keely Hodgkinson. That showed the insider knowledge of a 19-year-old who ran a world-leading time this year um, and came first at the European Championships. Now, this week, we've got another exceptional guest, fresh from his win uh, and personal best at the Comeback 5K yesterday in Battersea Park. His name is Phil Norman. Phil, welcome to the pod. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. It's great to have you on. Um, I'm excited to pick your brains in many senses where it comes to the steeplechase and the range that you've got. Um, but let's focus right from the uh, from the start of the pod today. Uh, yesterday was the that Comeback 5K. How was it sort of going into it? What were you, what were you feeling? And then you know, the outcome. Talk to us about it. Yeah, I think I still got a bit of adrenaline running through me from last night. You know, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago, really. Yeah, going into it, it's just, you know, you've been training for ages. My last race was September, the British champs. And then you've got the long winter period, which, you know, every athlete will tell you that that's the hardest part of the training, getting through the winter. And what makes it easier is having those races on the horizon, something to target. And this time around, this winter, they're just, you don't know when that next race is going to be. You know there's going to be the races, but you can't sort of have that focus on where it's going to be. So, you know, when when um, they announced that, you know, there's going to be that pass of 5,000, you see the people, you know, um, lining up to be in now. I thought, all right, yeah, this looks like it could be a tasty one. Um, so I knew I was in good shape. So I just wanted to get on the track and get racing again, you know, so... Yeah, it was a mixture of excitement, a bit of apprehension because, you know, it's a while since your last race. Um, but, yeah, it's just getting back into that rhythm, the pre-race, uh, warm-up and, and that, you know. So, But, yeah, it was, more than anything, it was just um, excited to be be back out on there on the track. Absolutely. And, you know, it speak about the competition and also I think the amount of people that just wanted to race, you know, they put that um, that event out and I think it – you know, sold out in a sense, you know, we had all of the places booked out in something like 12 minutes or something ridiculous. Were you on the the website, the the link ready to go? Uh, how did that go? Um, well, luckily, I didn't have to try and <laughs> get in there like, you know, like getting your Glastonbury tickets. Um, I'd emailed the organiser already and like been able to sort of enter into the elite race. So um, kind of slipped in the back door there, you know. So, um, yeah, I was lucky in that sense that I didn't have to try and rush on and uh, try and get booked in. So, yeah, it was yeah. crazy, you know. It just shows how, how many people just want to get back out there and race, you know. Yeah, and especially, I mean, there's there's definitely the athletes that are looking to race, but also the spectators as well. Like, And it was an incredible spectacle at the event with, you know, the build-up for it. And, you know, uh, myself and Lloyd Kempson had been down um, at Battersea with Stephen Gardner doing the uh, the night of the 1500 PBs and that was a great evening and um, that they put on uh, exceptionally well and they went you know a step a step beyond that um, with the live stream that was available Lloyd and, and Becker on the commentary with Open Track doing the live the live results and you know all the graphics from Johnny Curry and it was it was uh, it was fantastic to watch from our side um, and so yeah you had those sort of like almost blowing out the cobwebs and then when you got on the track, was was it sort of just, you know, full focus or did you sort of feel some of those, you know, rustiness? Did you have any rustiness or were you just simply ready to go? No, I didn't think there was. I think you just just kind of you just slip back into it, you know, just once once that gun goes, 
you sort of slip into position and it's, you know, uh, you just focus on the job in hand, really. So, yeah, it was just felt like like I'd never left, really. So it was, yeah, you, you never know um, until you sort of get back on the track in a race situation. You know, you do all the training, um, but it's completely different in a, in a race, especially for myself because I do the training on my own. You're suddenly on the track with other people. But no, I just slipped back into it and, uh, yeah, felt back at home. Wow, fantastic. And, and you know, the top, um, I say four or five guys, you know, yourself, um, Adam Clark, Henry McClucky, Rory Leonard and, and Mo Mohammed. Those guys were, I mean, it was very, very hotly contested up the top there. And, you know, jostling with, uh, with Henry McClucky in the last few laps. I mean, for him, just a quick word on him, you know, an incredible talent. He came through to run a 13.58, I believe, or 56 to, um, to run, you know, faster than Mo Farah had um, at his age. So, you know, what was it like sort of, I guess, competing against the, the mix between the experienced guys and the younger guys as well? Yeah, I think he had a cracking run, really. Um, I think a lot's been said about Rory Leonard as well with his time. That was a great, great performance by himself. But um, yeah, you can't take anything away from, from Henry. Yeah, he gave it a real go. And um, yeah, he was battling and he didn't want to, he didn't want to give up the lead. Um, he was, he was there to, to contest and um yeah i think he had a great race and there yeah, looks like he's got a promising future uh but yeah it came down to me and me and clarky on the last uh last lap um i was kind of getting flashbacks of armar last year on the yeah, yeah. Thought, nah, <laughs> we're not having it this time so i had to kind of i didn't want to go too hard too soon it was a case of sort of stepping it up in gears through that last lap and then kind of you know uh stepping into that top gear around that final bend into the last hundred. Yeah, it's always, it's all, I really enjoy just having those battles, those last lap kind of tear up. So just, you know, yeah, we love that. I mean, we <laughs> love it as spectators as well. And I guess, you know, you going into it, you know, most athletes, especially when, you know, they, they often say early season, you know, what, don't worry too much about the time, that sort of thing. But, you know, with limited opportunities to race, you know, it, with your mindset going into it, you're probably wanting to run really fast, but at the same time, there's an added benefit um, from what they did with um, with the prize pot that you've now got. Well, you didn't know. I guess you didn't know at the time of the race how much it would be, but you knew it would be a, a significant amount if if you won the race. So, how much does that affect it? Do you go in still gunning for a time, thinking you know if I run fast enough, I can win it, or you know does it come down to the tactic? Yeah, it's um, obviously it does play on your mind a bit especially because I'm not working at the moment. I was thinking, well, this could come in handy, you know, uh, winning the race here. But at the same time, you want to run fast. So I was hoping to be able to just slip in behind one or two of the other runners behind the pace. So that's why I sat in behind Nick. He was just behind the pacemakers. And then slowly transpired that it didn't look like he was going for that pace. It looked like maybe he was trying to make it a bit more of a slower race. I'm not sure... He probably had um, some of Friday's uh, yeah, definitely. Paper, uh, duties still in his leg. So, I, you know, I realised that the pace was getting away. So I made that conscious move to get up there because um, I still wanted to run fast. But, yeah, it slowed a little bit. I thought, well, just got to kind of just sit in here and just keep this rhythm. Once the pace is go, we can, you know, we can race. And I've known from previous races that I've been able to make up a lot of time at the at the end of a race, so I thought I still can still can get a decent time here, you know, not quite as quick as I'd hoped for, um, but at the same time, try and try and get that win as well. So it's about not trying to push too hard from too far out and put a target on your back. 
so yeah from you, from your question it definitely does play a part i think when you when you put some uh, money on the line people are going to be trying to to win that rather than rather than the time because if i had run 10 seconds quicker or the money the money's going to help me out a lot more on on my path you know this summer so yeah it's uh, a, yeah. a very good point and i think athletes often have that that battle with you know if you run incredibly well and you run a fast time but you don't get the win then you're always like well i wanted to get the win but then sometimes you go for the win and you don't get the fast time but then the added benefit um of the of the financial gain and you know oh, i think we'll talk about you know the fact that you work part-time took a, a sabbatical from from work to really focus on the olympics this year but just before we do i'd, I'd love to sort of go back and, and rewind the clocks as as such and I want to ask you, has that competitive nature been with you since a kid? Like, were you that guy at sports day that was winning everything? Basically the egg and spoon race, you know, was that you? Was that you at school? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I did pretty much every sport through school. Uh, I've got an older brother. So um, yeah, we were always competing from a young age. Like he, he would, if he didn't want to do something or get something, he would, he used to say, look, oh, I'll time you, see how long, see how quick you can go and get this for me or something. I'll fall into that trap every time, you know. He'd be like, like wow, you did it in a minute. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Three yeah. and a half years older than me. So, so yeah, it's always really competitive. Did all the sports at school, sports day and that. Um, yeah, so no, <laughs> I think it's just in my blood. It's interesting. My, my dad never had to post a letter, Phil, because he was always getting me and my brother to just race to the post box. Uh, you know, ever since you were sort of younger. And yeah, how does that also affect you? It's like, does, is that where the competitive nature comes from? Having someone that's, did you say is just a couple of years older than you? Yeah, three and a half years older than me. Right, okay. So a fair, a fair age older, but at the same time, yeah, about you want to be competitive. Four right? age groups, four age groups um, above me, yeah. So yeah, yeah I think that, that then, you know, that really gets it sort of ingrained from that point. And, you know, when, when was the first, a taste of success whether that be in athletics or, or otherwise for you when's that sort of first first memory um of of a successful moment I think the first real kind of big success would have been the first year I did steeplechase which would have been um bottom year under 17 under 17 yeah uh, yeah, so you're yeah about it's a long time ago so I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to think about that but um I think it was like 2000 and Five, yeah, 2005, um, and I came second at English schools and got um, got the English schools vest, and um, yeah, just that feeling of getting that England vest, getting the England kit. You know, go you go to the separate separate hall where they like give you the tracksuit, yeah. and you get back onto the bus because um, I think it was Birmingham, so it was about a four to five hour bus ride back to Devon. Um, and you're just there on the bus, you've got all your kit and that. And yeah, that's just, that was the first kind of real, like, oh, you know, I could probably do something here in the steeplechase. Because um, I had done um, like 800s, 1500s cross country from like under nines. I started running when I was like, just before I turned eight years old. Right, right. And um, I was winning like county champs and things like that, but I hadn't won anything on like a South of England, like big regional, regional level, um, yeah. or national level. Um, and then, yeah, it was the following year that I won uh, English schools um, and you go and do the home, the home countries. And it was the first year they did the UK school games as well and won that one. So that was like a real breakthrough year, really, winning like those three big, big titles. 
so yeah that was kind of like the early days really of the steeplechase and thinking I had a future there yeah the early stages well I did obviously you know being a podcast host you've got to try and do some research uh, and check this uh, the statistics and and um, when I was uh, when I was having a look at the the sort of para tens back in the day like you said you know uh, second in 2005 um for the 1500 and then come back with the win the, the year after um and I was looking at the times and I was sort of thinking you know could I could I put myself against you and I was a couple of seconds slower on the 1500 because I think you ran about 418 for the chase yeah and I was at like 422 um and I sort of thought like you know at that at that time I think 15 16 years old especially as everyone grows up doing the the 800 or the 15 or you know a 3k but and the, and the cross country but the steeplechase comes in quite late and it gives you that different option um and you realize that you know you can be I often talk about it you can be in the top 10 percent and there'll only be about sort of five or six people and you'll be doing exceptionally well but if you're in the top 10 percent for the 1500 there's a lot more people um as such so you know I think there's there's a lot more opportunities with that with that steeplechase and I guess how did that then transpire from then moving on to I guess the the later ranks of the juniors and then on to the seniors were you I mean was that definitely a, a focus for you going for the steeple or did you build everything else around you know your your longer distances they often talk about steeplechase as being you know strong 5k runners which we proved last night but yeah so how, how did that journey then then um transpire from like 17 18 years old yeah so the steeplechase was the main aim uh, but I was just training in a local group under Mark Brace at NDAC um North Devon Athletic Club we had at the time um Michael Cole really good 800 meter runner he was uh, I think uh, second at English schools um Davy Platt, who I think also was a medalist at English schools over 800, and Sam Petty, who was a gold um, 800 meter English schools as well. So we had a really good, nice. really good group. And so I was stronger over the longer reps, but I had these guys to really battle with over the shorter reps at the 800 um, specific work. So we primarily did like a lot of 800, 1500 work, didn't really do any like, you know, the, the 5K, 3K, 5K, that sort of stuff, which yeah. you probably typically would do as a steeplechaser. And I didn't really do any specific hurdle sessions. Um, as a youngster, I did um, a lot of different events, um, did uh, like uh, pentathlon, things like that in under 11. So I had done... Um, like hurdling and long jump, high jump, all things like yeah, that. So I think that yeah. kind of developed that that sort of plyometric side of things. Um, so yeah, we did a lot of kind of like hurdle drills and plyometric work, but no real steeplechase specific work. I didn't really come until I sort of started again as a senior athlete. So yeah, it was mainly just focusing on 800, 1500, and then I just raced steeplechase, you know? Yeah, I'm real. And I think that when you build up that bank and, you know, I think that's the natural that would be the natural thing to do, especially, you know, going through the age groups and especially the, the people that you're training with, unless you've got the ability to maybe add a lane to your training, to add some hurdles, it actually becomes quite difficult to do, um, you know, specific sessions. I remember, uh, you know, a week out from a race, um, we'd probably be doing sessions on the grass with a hurdle outside of the lane that we were doing 400 reps on. So, you know, having that creativity, I think that's, that's probably come in in the, in the last few years but like you say it, it probably wasn't anything specific that that got you there but I mean you spoke about the fact that you were doing 800 and the 1500s and I just wanted to highlight you know the range that you've got so that 
the listeners really know you know what what we're what we're talking about here and and you know when we talk about steeplechase athletes you might think that oh they're just you know good middle distance runners that are hurdlers but you know phil's run 150 for 800 meters 342 for 1500 uh, 823 for the 3k chase and then 1346 yesterday for the 5k so i think that really says a lot about the range that you've got um it was one of the comments that um Be- becca howard said yesterday on the live stream she said you know often you can see steeplechases that really rely on their hurdling ability but it seems that over the flat as well you know you, you bring that range as well so how important will that be going forward as you you know you, you've been progressing over the last four years and five years in the steeple is that going to help you go to the next stage as well being being strong on the flat or are you going to have to work extra hard on the on the steeple where, where does the improvement i guess come from from here yeah, I think um, the last, well, since the middle of 2018, I, I switched coaches um, and coached by uh, Tomas Plibersek from uh, Slovenia. And um, since being coached by Tomas, we've worked a lot on the endurance side of things, um, a lot of tempo work through the winter, longer reps, um, sort of the training's changed a lot under him. So that's... Uh, that's just kind of, I think the speed side of things has always been there, but it's just having the strength to be able to use it. Um, I think it's building that strength over the last few winters is what's really helped progress me um, on the track through the summer. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, it is, is so important. And I'd, lo- I'd love to, I guess, dive into that progression that we have seen and, and those jumps that you made, because we've gone from 2016 running about 9.06 for the chase and then pretty much coming the next year running about 20, 25 seconds faster. So I guess what happened from that point and then take us all the way up to about 2019 when you're in the year where you're around the uh, the world qualifying time for the, for the steeplechase. Yeah, so it took about two years really just to get back to um, where I was as a junior athlete really. Um, when I was 17, I did 9.10. Um, so yeah, it took like two years just to then run 906 to kind of be at the level I was when I was 17 um and at that point I think I was like 26 maybe almost 27 so yeah that was the main thing just um I had six years out so a lot of it was just kind of being able to build myself back up to being able to do the training and cope with the training load um because as a junior I probably maxed out would have gone nowhere near past 40 miles I think as a junior so um, it's sort of uncharted territory for me as a senior, sort of starting to do this kind of mileage. So it was a lot of trial and error, just working out how much I could handle, you know, without sort of breaking down. So um, the first two years was a bit slow going because I kept getting little niggles. I think maybe I was trying to do a little bit too much. So, yeah, it was a couple of years really of just getting back to where I was um, and getting getting some kind of running back in the legs. And then it was just a kind of... I think if you look at athletes, they do have that, like they do have a big jump from when they go from like junior to senior. And I think that kind of was my sort of junior to senior big jump. But I was a senior athlete, sure. um, but I stopped before I really went through the junior ranks. So I think that kind of 2017 jump was was that kind of big jump that, that people tend to have. Um, and then since then, it's kind of been a gradual progression each year, you know, um, just just taking taking chunks off of the uh, off of the time. And a lot of it's just finding the right races under the right circumstances to 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 run to run yeah, the fast definitely. times. 
And I know I'm jumping around on the times a bit here, but I know you, um, you know, you, you just said how you took that that six uh, that six year break. Was it from the sport or was it just um, from the high level competition? Talk us through that sort of that break there. Yeah, so um, 2007, I had a really good year um, in the steeplechase. Won a lot of races. Won the under 20 um, three A's England champs being first year in the uh, age group and then um, come that winter I had a really bad injury with my hip and I tore four muscles around the hip joint and then I came back I came I came back kind of late in the season in 2008 uh, but just wasn't near the anywhere near the fitness level and ran terribly at English schools and uh, just uh, I, I just didn't enjoy it that year you know um, when as a junior you're used to improving each year running quicker and I think that's the first year where it really um, became a proper challenge and I, I didn't improve and I just didn't I just stopped uh, enjoying it I'd been in the sport for uh, over 10 years and um, I just felt like I was kind of just um, like turning 18 other things are going on and I was like you know the, the amount of time you invest into the sport you, you think to yourself you know you know you're not enjoying it like you're putting yeah. so much time and effort into something that you're not truly enjoying and I think at that time I was I was doing it for extrinsic kind of um reasons to to kind of please parents or other people and not for right. myself um and yeah just took a step away from it and um yeah it was I, I never really had a plan of what was going to happen at that point how long the break was going to be um but it, it wasn't until the end of 2014 that I finally uh, decided to give it another shot. Was there always that ambition to come back as well? I don't think there was. Um, it wasn't really until that until 2014. I was starting to think, uh, I was seeing athletics on the TV. I was seeing a guy which I raced against, James Wilkinson, as a junior, yeah, yeah, yeah. running really well. And I was like, Christ, you know, <laughs> that could have been me. And I just got a foot to myself, like, oh, man, I'm turning into one of those people that that are saying oh you know I could have done that and I was like it's that old cliche but I didn't want to have those regrets and get to a point later in life when it was too late to to come back to the sport and really um see what I could achieve so that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment just each year just seeing what I can do and trying to find what my what my potential is you know so at the moment I'm going quicker so I'll just keep going until I start slowing down <laughs> yeah just keep going and mate that's I mean that's so inspiring to hear and from you know that's really relatable from my point of view and before I be completely selfish and ask all the questions that I want to ask um you know for my benefit and, and not just the listeners you know um when you when you come back to you know so you're 26 when you sort of return to the sport and you you mentioned that you know you're about four seconds faster in that year but are you are you comparing yourself to the 17 year old phil are you are you basically saying i'm at the same point as i was when i was 17 or are you looking at it for a totally different lens and going right we're basically restarting and going from you know day dot and 26 years old yeah i mean i think i i look at it that I've reached that level, so I know I can get back to that level, but it's just how long does it take to get there? Um, but at the same time, I'm a completely different person to I was when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. You know, you've got a completely different head on your shoulders. Yeah, things would have turned out a lot differently if I had had this head on the, my shoulders as a 17, 18-year-old. Um, but it's not the way way it works. Mm. Um, you know, in, in sport, it's brutal because 
you've got a, you know you're at the top of your profession really when you're you've got a very like young brain you know um, yeah, when yeah. you compare it to other professions out there you know you're top of your game a lot later on so yeah it's it's to begin with I, I looked at it that that was I knew that was where I could get back to um fairly quickly um but it didn't happen that quickly yeah <laughs> and then and then you're kind of stepping into the unknown you know it's like you don't know so it's you you've got no limits on yourself so I don't know what I can run I just know that I can keep getting faster I don't know how fast I can run whether it's 810 815 820 who knows you know I'm just going to keep going and see what I can achieve yeah it's, it's so interesting as well one of the points that I was thinking and you I think I'm going to go in with the, the classic podcast question, you know, what advice would you give to your 18 year, 18 year old self? The old cliche just thrown straight in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a tricky one really, isn't it? Because I could, I could go back and say, look, you, you could have a really good future here in this sport, but the reality is my head wasn't in it at that age. Um, I don't think anything that I could have said would have made much of a difference. And I think, I look at what's happened in my life since 18 and none of those things would have happened if I had carried on, which I'm grateful for. Um, I wouldn't have met my wife, been with her, um, got the job I've got or where I live and things like that. So I'm a great believer in that, you know, these sort of things happen for a certain reason. Um, I'm back on the path which I left, but I, I believe that I can still achieve what, what I could have done if I had carried on as an 18 year old. So that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of sticking with, you know. Well, well, personally, I'm going to take that advice on board because at, at 21, where I'm at now, um, and had experienced, you know, that sort of level of competition when I was sort of 15, 16 with the steeplechase, I think that proves to me, you know, that, that you definitely can do it at pretty much any age. I mean, I take massive inspiration as well from Chris Thompson, who, you know, excelled last week in, in the marathon performance where, you know, he's 39 years old and pretty much had, uh, I think it was like 24 years since his first international appearance and, you know, still on the circuit, still making teams. And I think it's better, it, it, it's probably better to do it when you're younger, but at the same time, if your mentality's there, like you said, when you were, you know, when you were 26, you, your head was in a very different place. I think that could be a massive benefit as well. And, you know, I'm probably at that point where you can actually apply yourself mentally as well as the physical side. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I just love hearing about it. And I think this is, this is a great takeaway for, for the listeners as well that, you know, might be seeing athletics on TV and, you know, falling back in love with it. Um, and I think this is a, there's, there's no better opportunity really to just to start because you might argue that the best time to start was seven years ago, but the, the second best time to start is today. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's something to take away for, for everyone listening. Yeah. I mean, you're 21, so that's you got like a four four plus year head start on where I started you know so yeah definitely definitely it's just it's just um if you want it enough and you apply yourself it's just you know it's a long road but it's just staying on that when when I first came back I wasn't looking at like where I am now and even kind of thinking about that it was just sort of taking it a year at a time Mm. um you know so yeah that's just uh you know you you've got to have that long-term sort of look but it's just short term you just got to take it each year plan that target for that year and then you know before you know it, you look around and it's like well I'm, I'm back at the top well, well you know? yeah, yeah yeah wow genuinely fascinating and uh yeah I mean thanks for for sharing it. it's it's um it's, it's great to hear and 
good motivation because I think I'm I'm definitely going to be going out for my evening run now after after this uh, after this recording. Um, and you mentioned you know the the actual I guess not hidden benefits because they're very obvious in your life now, but things that you wouldn't have uh, achieved or experienced had you have you know followed that path of that elite athletics. One of them um, being your you know your your day job. Um, and so explain to our listeners what your your day job is and because a lot of a lot of people that watch um, athletics on the TV might think that everyone's, you know, everyone does running as their job. Um, many athletes, in fact, it's almost the opposite. Many athletes, you know, do either part-time or full-time work. So just explain a bit about your, your job and that um, and how that impacts your, your ability to train and to, and to compete. Yeah. So I work full-time and that's for open reach. Um, people will know it like linked to BT probably more in its yeah. former name. Um, so I've been working for them since the beginning of 2011. So I was originally um, installing and repairing phone lines um, to like residential and business properties, really. So climbing the poles, coming in, fixing your fixing your phone if it's not working or, you know, Internet if it's down. Um, and then from midway through 2017, I've been working as a pole tester. So that's been out and about. Um, climbing the poles, uh, digging um, around the poles, checking the cage, just making sure the poles are safe. So it's pretty uh, like manual, physically demanding job. You're out and about through the fields, carrying your gear, your ladders and things like yeah. that and all, all kinds of weather. Um, but the plus side with this role I've been doing since um, yeah, middle of 2017, I, I work like a four-day pattern. So it's still full-time hours. I work four days a week, so oh, I have okay. a fixed yeah. Wednesday off. So I'm able to do uh, one of my main like training sessions on a Wednesday. Uh, so it gives me that structure and routine. So um, yeah, I'm able to do my training around around the job, and it fits in quite well. And uh, through Tom as my coach, we've been able to find like a, a plan and uh, you know, structure that works really well for myself. Right. So uh, I mean, it's fascinating here because I think that. You know, there's one thing working full time behind a desk in an office, but then there's there's the next part where you're not only, you know, working full time, but it's a, you know, manual, uh, you know, a manual intensive labor job, um, which, you know, you've got. a Yeah, it just it just seems like, you know, that in itself, you're going to come home, and you're going to be absolutely knackered. So how do you get to the point where I mean, obviously, the, the motivation and the hunger is there to constantly improve yourself with the running. But how much does that actually affect your training when when coming into a big block or, you know, how, how do you fit it in, basically? Yeah, it's um, I don't tend to do um, double days. A lot of my run is running just uh, once a day uh, through the winter. The only day I'd run twice really is on a Monday. Um, so I do a run before work and then a short run and some core in the evening, but then the rest of the runs are in the evening. It's anything because I'd have to be like out the door at about half past five in the morning if I'm doing a run, like yeah, if I'm yeah. doing double days and I just find, like, yeah. I'm a bit more susceptible to kind of niggles and things if I'm running at that time in the morning. So try and minimize that as much as possible. With running once a day, you just got more recovery before the next run, you know? So if, if I was doing double days, running before work, then a physical day at work and then another run. There's not much There's kind no of recovery between anything. Um, so yeah, I don't do a massive amount of mileage. I'd say I max out at about 70 miles um, through the winter. Um, but it's just kind of a, it, it works for me, that amount of mileage. I find it's enough to kind of um, aerobically um, build that base and just 
uh, it's that kind of like a level which um, means I'm, I'm rested well enough to, to do the quality work. Yeah, fantastic. And the, the financial aspect comes into it a lot. And especially from yesterday, you know, we saw the prize pot go over £1,400 or something. And I'm not sure where they, when they sort of cut it off, but I think, you know, that could, that could go higher. That split obviously between you and, you and Jenny Nesbitt and that's about 750 quid. So what does that, you know, what does that do for you? How, how much does that mean for you and how much does that help? Yeah, that's massive because um, I'm currently on a unpaid like sabbatical leave, um, taking four months off. So I've had March off already, so I had no wage coming yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. for March. So um, yeah, it's going to help pay just bills at home, mortgage, um, to get to races and all things like that you know so it, it really does help I've tried to put some to the side like saving away over the last uh, year or so when I was kind of making the decision to do this um but it just kind of it's like just lightens the burden you know um yeah it definitely will yeah, make a make a big difference no it's an amazing and and also I mean even to have to make that decision to um to take the the sabbatical that unpaid that unpaid leave you know, that, that's obviously got to be a really hard one, but it's because you're, you know, you're chasing this dream, uh, pardon the pun, Chase, classic, um, <laughs> of, uh, of getting to uh, to the Olympics. And I guess that was that the, that was obviously the main focus, you know, going going into that. And then, you know, to even even when I think about it, you know, someone who's been up through the age groups and done incredibly well has come back at 26 and then is improving year on year to get to a point where, You've won British titles and, you know, on the on the brink of making teams, yet still having to make those personal sacrifices to make it. It's it's quite hard to hear in, in a sense, because there should be something in place that can support you in that sense. Do you, do you feel that there's there's more that can be done? Yeah, uh, I mean, for myself, I kind of try not to feel hard done by because I know I had the chance uh, as a youngster to kind of make it. And I kind of, you know, I threw away that opportunity when I was 18. So I'm sort of torn. Like, I've, you know, I know that I, I, if I had carried on, I would have had that opportunity. Maybe the kind of would have got some kind of contract if I had carried on that, on that sort of uh, progression I was doing. But at the same, you know, so I, I threw that opportunity away. So I'm kind of looking at it like I'm coming in late to the sport. I know people will kind of like companies and that will probably look at me and think, oh, look at my age and be like, oh, you know, he's probably not got long in the sport. But you look at people like Nick Willis, Bernd Legat, <laughs> and people like that. They've been running through from like a young age all the way through. I look at it, I've had like from 18 to 24, 25 off. That should hopefully, um, you know, extend my career well into my 30s. So I feel like there's still... You know, uh, I've still got a long time in this sport to go. Um, I think people are quick just to look at look at like the 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 numbers on on a page and be like, oh, he's thirty one. Like, yeah, he's probably he, he should have peaked by now. And you know, it's not the case. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it's it's such a good point, especially you know using those other examples as well and those athletes that I mean, as you mentioned with with Nick Willis, someone who's, who's run, you know, 19 consecutive sub four miles in the last 19 years, which is just absolutely ridiculous to, to think. And, you know, constantly these people that are breaking barriers at, at any age, you know, on, on the women's side, Joe Pavey, you know, winning the, the European 10K and, and then going, you know, beyond that with, with the other athletes as well, are just 
growing of age and it's not to say that you're you know at all old you know Phil it's, it's ridiculous to to say that and especially the jumps that you've made because you're pushing so hard I guess in 2019 to get to get standards to get times and then you come back the next year and you know you just maybe maybe a rethink or just keep you know keeping that momentum going has brought you to a point where you've then jumped six seconds down to the next time so I don't think there's any reason where why you can't you know go forward again and I think that's definitely your mindset um and and speaking about sort of 2019 of those world champs that was the last opportunity to um to make a, a major team if you like by the um well the European indoors obviously doesn't have a chase so um you could probably say that was the last the last opportunity to do so um you know that year how much has that taught you going into 2021 now and focusing on the Olympics in in a couple of months time taught me to uh I can't rely on anyone but myself nice yeah yeah <laughs> I've got to, um you know I've got to just make hit that standard you know and it's clear in the policy this year the uh if you get a uh an invite then British Athletics have set the steeplechase standard exactly the same as the Olympic standards so they're oh, not amazing. giving any way there whatsoever yeah yeah um so yeah I, I knew before that coming into it that I needed to hit that standard because I can't I can't leave the decision to the selectors. Like, I've got to cement my place. I've got, to, I've got to get that time. I've got to get top two and take it out of the hands of the selectors so they can't turn around and say, no, you're not going. Like, I have to yeah. do that and they've got no option, you know? So that was like, that was a hard lesson learned from that year. I think maybe I was a little bit naive thinking that by running so consecutively, you know, so consistently right on the money, um, that that would kind of prove that, you know, I'm ready for a breakthrough. It's just kind of having that opportunity and um, to not be given the opportunity was like, that was really, really tough. That was especially kind of how I'd like that, how that year I'd been working full time, traveling across Europe to try and find these races, juggling, working and traveling, getting the times I thought maybe they'd look at that as like a kind of, um an exception to what they had like sort of put in the policy um but we didn't want to budge on that so yeah it was tough at the time but I just kind of used it as as fuel really to um just just kind of you know prove a point you know um and uh yeah that's what I'm gonna try and do this year definitely definitely and I've got a, a question that's just popped into my head they usually do that's pretty much how it works um but uh <laughs> so on just to take you to the the day where they don't give you a wild card wild card place and and put you on the team do you go out for a run that next day um let me think because <laughs> i'm just sort of thinking you know at that point everything's built up to you know either that decision which like you say is in someone else's hands you would love to be able to control that but, but in, in a sense you can't i'm just thinking would I then want to get up after all of the hard work and go out for, for my six miles? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I carried on um, I carried on through the season because um, we had already planned uh, the season around going to the World Champs, so I'd had a holiday booked uh, for oh, later nice. in the year. <laughs> I, carried on, I carried on training up to that point. I thought I'd just carry on as I originally planned. Then I'll take the break and we go again. Um, so, yeah, I, I carried on the plan as it was. Um, I kind of, I was down down in the dumps for like 24 hours with it, but just, you know, shook it off. I, I got out on the run 
Um, but I remember the first kind of hard track session back. I was just in the last rep and I just gave it everything. Yeah. Gave it everything that last rep. Just like frustration. Um, just like it was just pure emotion that last rep. And I just blitzed this 400. Like just let it all out down the home straight. And just remember just like, yeah. Yeah, it was just like real cathartic moment where I just let everything out, you know. Um, and that was needed, you know. I think it was good that I carried on with the training rather than just kind of cutting it short, you know. I think I needed to get that out of my system. Um, so, yeah. And then, yeah, so just took the break and then just carried on um, into 2020. Yeah, I guess cr- cracking on. And, and, you know, if that had happened, that, that would have been the same story, wouldn't it? And, you know, if, if you hadn't gone to the champs, then you would have come back and started training again for the next year, focusing on on Tokyo, which has now obviously been moved to this year. Um, and again, I mean, the, the the focus is obviously there. You know, you you pretty you, you've changed your your whole setup so that it's now focused on um, on that. And how how do you think you can best prepare for um, the races that are coming up? Is there is there ones in mind that um, you're going to look at um, and go for? And yeah, how are you going to best prepare for the next couple of months ahead? Yeah, um, the next race um, that I've entered for is the um, University of Birmingham series there. Their oh, first nice. meeting on the 1st of April. I'll, I'll, see, I'll, um, I'll probably see you there then. <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing that one. Um, it's just a good one just to kind of get a feel for the barriers of water jump and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Over 2,000, so it's not the full distance. So it's quite a nice just sort of introductory back into it. Um, see, so that'll be a good one just to see what I can do over 2,000. And um, then it'll be kind of going back into a little block before hoping to um, be able to, to find something fast in, in Europe, um, possibly the Golden Spike in Ostrava, which okay. is like um, towards, I think that's about the 19th of May, something like that. So... Um, it's just a case of waiting and and seeing what's about and obviously with restrictions and things like that really so um, yeah I think it's going to be end of May beginning of June where you're sort of really looking to attack that uh, attack that Olympic uh, qualifying time nice well it's really really exciting and uh, and on Crick Cast Pod we often ask some Crick Fire questions Um, my first uh, Crick Fire question is when did the Tash first come about who is the influence who is the inspiration um and are we going to see it grow in the next uh, in the next few months bill i can see you wincing on the screen as if i yeah if you thought i wasn't going to ask that question uh, <laughs> i think it's just the fact that the tash is the only thing that properly grows like the beard's awful you know so i just have to settle for the tash and then it kind of gets to a point i like look i'm like hang on a minute what am i doing here i don't think there's really any inspiration there it just kind of gets to a point when the wife is just like, it's got to go, it's got to go. She can't stand it. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think it. it'll come back. <laughs> Absolutely love it. And um, and we, we were speaking about, I mean, uh, I love him a lot. Lloyd Kempson um, spoke yesterday and uh, on your chat, we were talking about trends because he's going for the, I mean, we were talking about my haircut. The people listening on the podcast won't be able to see Absolutely Nine. shocking. Um, yeah, it's probably one of David Beckham's catalogs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, not great, but yeah, the point was about the mullet and he's gone for the mullet. Um, and I think he's, he's gone through stages with the Tash. Obviously he's a big influence at the moment. 
Um, so he's got to be he's got to be jumping on those trends. But what's the um, what's the weirdest trend that you've jumped on, Phil? Oh, uh, I don't know really. I'm not really one for trends. No, not gone plant know. plant based for a couple of weeks. Or oh yeah, gone, uh, actually, I did do um, beginning of last year. Um, I watched like Game Changers on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave it a little plant based. Yeah, you know. it's the same thing. Um, Literally, as as I think everyone's it, you're just, been you're just convinced. <laughs> but I mean, to be honest, I don't eat anywhere near as much meat as I used to. Um, so that kind of it did it did uh, influence me in yeah, a way yeah. that, that documentary. <laughs> I gave it a little well, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's not for me. I, I like a steak, you know, so and a nice barbecue in the summer. <laughs> beautiful you can't um, do a vegan yeah. barbecue no i don't think you can you can't <laughs> you, nothing really starts well with a salad anyway um but yeah uh with um i was gonna say uh have you ever clattered a steeplechase barrier yeah i have yeah over. <laughs> yeah it was um england champs 2018 i think it was four laps to go and right. i whacked my knee on the um on the barrier just as you go past the finish line and um i fell to the floor and i watched the race back i don't think the commentators even noticed that i'd hit the barrier and and like just missed the whole thing just like said oh norman's dropped back i was like oh yeah just hit that barrier you know um but yeah luckily i've never um i've never taken a a dive in the water jump Mm, but yeah yeah, i've hit hit a barrier mid-race and i've I think a couple of times I've clipped my ankle like on the trail leg coming through on, on the very last barrier. Um, but luckily, you know, when you're at that point in the race, you, you don't really feel that. So it's kind of, it's gone. No, I had one on the back straight of um, Ashford. Uh, Ashford track is known for just being awful basically because it's, it's it's windy it's open it's it's always wet it's always raining why is it always raining it's got an out, outside water jump and i was i was attacking the back straight and i've just gone over and mark cookway who you know you know well and he's our coach at tunbridge he's film he films every single race and it's it's a blessing because you can literally watch it back but it's also the fact that I basically just absolutely clattered this hurdle he's the one filming it i'm the only t- uh, tunbridge runner in the race he just goes, oh, Sam, Sam, get up, get up, get on with it. Just <laughs> brilliant because I've properly gone into it as well. And obviously, people that know the steeple, they know how how like ridiculous these barriers are. They're just they're three foot high and just solid, solid wood. You're not going past it basically. Um, but I thought I'd drop a, that um, specific steeple in. Um, and then uh, another question that um, we ask often on on Critcast Pod is, uh, what is the best advice that you've ever received? Um, I think not to focus on the clock, you know, sometimes if you just race well, the time will come, um, not to get caught up on the times. I think, especially for the younger athletes, I think, um, a lot of the time they're wanting to hit a PB, you know, every race. I think, um, you just need to just get to the, the pure side of running which is just racing just you know pure racing so i think yeah just not worry about the clock and just race and the time will come yeah love it and uh if there was anyone that we could get on this podcast um not to interview you i've had a couple of I've had a couple of people jake whiteman in particular i asked him this question i said if you get anyone on this podcast who would it be and he was like oh what 
instead of you to interview me, I was like, no, there's a, <laughs> there's a bloody guest for me to talk job. to. Um, so, uh, so Phil, um, a guest that I would talk to, uh, if there was anyone I could get on, who would that be? Uh, for me, it'd be Evan Yeager. He's yeah. like, he's, uh, yeah, he's my like, hero in steeplechase. Yeah, you know? huge. So, uh, yeah. Love it. Yeah, no. He's not much older than me either, but like he seems like because you, know, you look at these people, they've been around for so long. Yeah. And he looks oh, actually he's you know, it's like the same age as me almost. Yeah. And Evan Yeager, what he's done, you know. And like you talk about range earlier, you know, like he's 332, 1500. Um he would have definitely been sub eight in yeah. that steeple. Uh, yeah, um, of course. Yeah, what he's done is like, you know, I think. I think you see people like him mixing it and that gives um, people like myself like that belief that you can, you can kind of mix it on that level, you know? Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Evan Jaeger. Well, you'll probably see him in, um, uh, in Tokyo. Um, you can have a little chat with him uh, when, obviously when you make the Olympics in and you're on the team, uh, many of, many of the people that come on Crickcast pod go on to incredible things, Phil. So we wish you the best of luck. It's a, it's a good omen. Um, that's actually bullshit. I don't know. I don't know if that may, it's, it's not down to me. Um, and, uh, and yet, um, if people want to follow you on social media, um, and find out a bit more about you, where can they find you? Uh, Instagram is Phil underscore Norman, nothing special, just Phil nice. Norman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Got a few new followers from last night. So I'm slowly <laughs> Uh, I'm in the small numbers. It's nowhere near uh, Lloyd's influencing level, but I'm trying to do my best. <laughs> well, um, well, we'll track that over time. Um, we'll, we'll end up seeing seeing Phil in, in a couple couple of months' time being a, an influencer at the top of his game. Um, but uh, really looking forward to it. And this, this conversation's been been incredible, Phil. And you know, real motivation for me personally. And I hope that every single person who listens to this um, either you know, take some, some inspiration from it themselves or know someone who will really benefit. So if that is the case, please feel free to, to share this podcast with, with a friend um, and, and keep, the, keep the word going, keep the buzz going. Um, Crickcast Pod is, is here to stay and, and inviting um, world-class guests on every single week. And Phil is definitely uh, the epitome of that. So Phil, thank you very much for joining this episode of the podcast and, um, and we'll see you very soon. Thanks for having me on. 